following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. If you have a Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 is where we're going to be this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. We'll go through 25. I'm going to sail over the first part of this pretty quickly. Then we're going to land in the last couple of verses of this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. My PhD supervisor, he uh, just published a book on Psalm 119, and it is, it is marvelous. And then I've been walking through it in my personal Bible study in the mornings, and this morning... It was in a verse of uh, Psalm 119 that said, Lord, let your mercy come to me. So let's pray and ask for God's mercy. Eternal Father, we have access to you through the blood of Jesus Christ, so we thank you that he stands in our place. He stands in our place through the work of his sacrifice. Be gracious to us this morning as I attempt to stand and point, to point my heart and to point this church towards your truth. Be gracious to us as we aim to move as a church toward greater purposes in this city, greater purposes in this community and amongst the nation. Give us clarity, give us desire, and give us motivation. Father, I'm just a man. I'm just a man. But you're the creator and sustainer of all things, and so we lean upon you. We lean upon you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this today is part two of the City Group series. City Groups, you'll notice there's a card in your, uh, on your seat this morning that has some details on things. So we're going to walk you through that, what all that looks like. I'm going to introduce you to some marvelous people that are going to be key leaders to all of this. So the first sermon I preached on City Groups, our new small group system, I preached on you on the aspect of it called mission. So there's two parts to these groups, mission and community. So part one of the sermon series was on the missional aspect of that. Today I'm going to talk to you about the community part of it. The community part of it. So I told you we began to answer questions like this back in the, really in the winter, the early spring when I met Greg and as part of the church, we began to answer questions, to ask these and answer questions. How does this church better reach the community? How does this church better reach this city? What is Grace on the Ashley's role in the city of Charleston? And should we be thinking about the bigger picture? Is there bigger things unfolding in Charleston? Is there bigger kingdom purposes? And most importantly, what does evangelism and missions look like in Charleston, South Carolina in 2019? Those are big questions. They're big, big questions that we're wrestling with as a church. Really, the entire global church is wrestling with that in America. So the small group system, city groups, is part of your elders Uh, mobilization to start to begin to answer some of those questions as a church. So at the end of the service today, I'm going to bring these leaders forward up in front of you. We're going to talk about a few things. We're going to give you the details on stuff. I'm going to ask you to mobilize to sign up for these groups. We've sent the links out in a newsletter. There's going to be stuff. um, There's contact information in there, so we're going to get into all of that. But we're going to ask you today, we'll begin the formal sign-up process for these communities. We want everyone in the church, if you're willing and able and have a heart for this, we want you to mobilize to be a part of one of these groups. We want you to do that. 
So you'll remember that the key statement to all of city groups, what I gave you the last time I preached on this, the key statement is this. You're going to see this everywhere. You're going to get tired of hearing it probably. It's life on mission in community for the gospel. Mission community, mission community. I tried to unfold the need for the light in the world, that need for God's glory, the light to go out as part of the sermon that I gave you on mission before. And so I tried to answer the question, why mission? Why are we even doing this? Why do we even think about mission as a church? Why does it matter? So I tried to answer those questions. So today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer the question, what is community? What is community? Why do we need community? And what does community have to do with mission? How do these things fold together? I'm going to try to answer that to you today. So to the text, hear the words of the writer of Hebrews. I'm going to walk right through this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast, this is a confessional statement, this is beautiful here, verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The context of this passage is that it's written to Jewish Christians. There's no doubt in my opinion, in my mind, I think that scholars would agree with this, that the writer of Hebrews, he's dealing with some level of struggle in these passages, really the struggle of assurance of faith. How do you make it to the end? There's other things going on here. There's a lot of other things going on in the first few verses of this passage here. But at the very least, the writer is trying to teach people how do you persevere in the Christian journey? How do you make it to the end? How do you maintain faithfulness in the Christian journey? How do you do that? There's a lot more going on in this passage, a ton going on in this passage, but for purposes of today, I'm going to fly over the first part of this just to give you the context of it really quickly, but I want you to see a couple things here. The writer, he breaks down these verses into two sections. He gives you the section 1, verses 19, really probably through 23 in here, 19 through 23. He gives you the work of Jesus. He gives you an important truth about Jesus. This dead guy named John Calvin told us that there was three offices that Jesus assumes. One of them is the priestly office. The writer of Hebrews unfolds this as a marvelous Christian truth. And the second thing is he gives us this exhortation to community at the end of it. Why does he do that? Why does he walk you through the sacrifice of Jesus and then right at the end of this he gives you an exhortation on community? It's, it's, it's really awesome. He says he does this in part to remind us, listen to me, he does this in part to remind us that the Christian walk it takes courage it takes perseverance it takes doggedness it takes determination it takes grit it takes grit to make it to the end to live out the christian journey so here's the question today how do you make it in the ministry how do you make it in the christian faith how do you fulfill the mission how do you fulfill the mission? How do you make it to the end? How, how do you uphold your calling as a Christian or you fight against the doubt? How do you remain faithful? If you haven't noticed, if you haven't noticed the Christian faith, you're in a full tilt war. I don't want to overstate it, but you're in a full tilt war. I feel it every day. I don't want to overstate it, but the battle is raging around you on every front. It's raging around you on every front. In the Christian journey, it's not easy. It's not an easy journey. 
Does anybody sense that? Anybody sense that this week? Anybody felt that this week? Anybody going through some junk right now? How do we make it to the end? How do you do it? How do you have courage? How do you have grit, a doggedness, a determination, a perseverance, a faithfulness? How do you complete the race? The answer is very simple, very broadly. I can't get in all of it this morning, but very broadly, it's done through the work of Jesus. You see that in the first part of this, and it's done through community. God gives you community for this. I know people right now that are ministering in very difficult places. I know people right now that are ministering in very difficult places. I emailed one of them this morning in the middle of the night because I woke up and he was on my heart. It's a very difficult place in the Middle East. And I told him, I said, I'm thankful for your calling. I'm thankful for your ministry. I'm thankful that you've been faithful. But I ask him all the time, how do you do it? How do you stay faithful in it? How do you stay on the battlefield? What holds you in the midst of all of it? And they say to me, they say, Brent, I'll be honest with you, man. In my flesh, I'd walk away from it. I'd walk away from what God called me to. The only thing that holds me in the middle of it is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the men and women around me that encourage me. It's the only thing that holds me, holds me in it. I, I'm weak need, man. I'm feeble. And I need this. So how do we accomplish the mission that God has called us to, the mission to live out the Christian faith and be light in the world? The writer, he gives us this. Look, look with me again at verse 19 through 23 here. The confessional statement, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. You hear the Old Testament in this? That is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest, you hear the Old Testament in that? A great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and the full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The part of the scripture is not my focus this morning. It's just, I'm just going to give it to you at 30,000 feet because I want to give you a little bit of theology and then I'm going to roll right into the exhortation. But this is the theology of it. Sometimes we tend to think of the Old Testament as this this weird book that's out there and there's this hard dichotomy between the Old and the New Testament and there's all this weird stuff going on in the Old Testament, blood and dead animals and all this stuff and it doesn't make any sense and then Jesus comes and all that stuff's done away. Listen to me, I want to make a clear theological statement to you this morning. Jesus did not come to fix a broken sacrificial system. He came to fulfill it. He came to fulfill a sacrificial system from the Old Testament. That's precisely what's going on in this verses. It's a central truth to the Christian faith. It's central to the gospel. If you lose it, you lose the gospel. The writer is getting at the question, how do we hold fast in the confession of our faith? How do we hold fast in that? How do we make it through the Christian journey in order to persist in a world and make it to the finish line? The answer is Jesus and his promises. You see that right there in verse 22, 23? Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The answer is Jesus and his promise. The Jewish people, they needed a reminder of this. I need a reminder of this. I needed a reminder of this this week. Jesus' work is once and for all. It's a once and for all work. You're saved by grace. It's a free gift from God. You didn't earn, you didn't earn this with God. You didn't earn God's favor. Jesus, is, Jesus purchases, it through, purchases it through his sacrifice. A sacrifice that's foretold in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament writers and the people, they didn't have a clear understanding of it. They were veiled. They didn't have a clear understanding of what was going on here. So then Jesus is coming, Jesus comes and it's all unveiled. This is the gospel. This is the gospel in 19 through 23 right here. It's the gospel. 
about three years ago, the first day of October, my wife and I, we welcomed a darling little girl into this world. If you hadn't met her, I hope you do. <laughs> her name is Gray, G-R-E-Y. When you welcome a child in this world, one of the responsibilities you have is you, you get to pick the name, for better or worse. And so we got to pick the name of our daughter, and so we picked G-R-E-Y, Gray. You can spell it with an A, or you can spell it with an E. We spelled it with an E. Why did you spell it with an E, Britt? My wife liked it. <laughs> Box number one, right? But the second part of it is, is that the spelling of it, it reminded me of an old dead person, an old dead lady, actually. This is a, this is a marvelous story. One, 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 of, one of my, this lady is a friend of mine. Dead people are my friends, Greg. They're my friends, man. I don't have any friends. Anybody alive want to be my friend? Dead people are my friends, man. So I, I named her, we, we got the spelling from this old dead lady. Her name's Lady Jane Gray. Lady Jane Gray. She's 15 years old, sort of a last minute change in the will of King Edward. She was given the throne. He got kind of ticked off at his sister, Mary. And so he wrote this 15-year-old into his will, gave her the throne. That's not cool. <laughs> That's not cool. So she's in the middle of the Protestant Reformation. This is like 1553 around then. This Lady Jane Grace living in the middle of the Protestant Reformation at the time. Um, she's actually evangelical. There's a lot going on. The church is splitting from Rome. If you don't know anything about the Protestant Reformation, talk to me after the service. But anyway, she's, she's in the middle of all of this stuff. So he gives her the throne. She's the key, Queen of England for nine days. Nine days she's the Queen of England. Mary finds out about this. She says, it's not going to work out. So she puts a team of people together. They storm London. They storm London and they arrest her. They arrest her. She's brought to trial. She's standing in front of a bunch of grown men in a trial. We have the dialogue from the trial. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. She's standing in, in a trial. She's, she, just gives, she just lays it out, man. She just stands on it. Justification by faith. Lord's Supper. You know people died over the Lord's Supper? <laughs> you know people died on their position of the Lord's Supper? It didn't go well for her. She's, she's charged with high treason, and in the early months of 1554, she's, she's sent to London for execution. She's sent to London for execution. She, and executions at this time, they're done publicly. They're done publicly. So they blindfold her. She ascends the scaffolding. In London, she's standing at the top of the scaffolding. They ask her a few things. She quotes from Psalm 51. She says, Lord, have mercy on me. They put her head on a block, and they beheaded her for her faith. She never buckled. She never flinched. She's barely a teenager. I know this is an extreme example, but the, for the, the first time I read that, I had to put the book down. I had to put the book down and walk away from my desk. It, the, the emotion, it just slammed all over me. I, could, I couldn't hardly take it. She never flinched. She never buckled. I read, I read that and I stood up at my desk and I said, God, give me half the courage of this woman. Give me half the courage of this 15-year-old. She never flinched. She never flinched. She's a Hebrews 11 lady. She's a Hebrews 11 lady. Though she's dead, she's still... She still speaks. What does she say to me, Britt? What does she say to me? She says, hold the gospel close. She says, hold fast and hold the gospel close. She died for the gospel. She died for her faith. The reason we even went into verses 19 through 23 is because you've got to keep the gospel right here. Can you see that? You've got to keep the gospel right here. 
You've got to keep the gospel. You've got to keep the theology right in front of you or you'll get weak. Jesus died in order to fulfill the Old Testament sacrificial system to proffer a sacrifice for your righteousness before a wrathful God to lift you out of the abyss of nothingness and sin and to bring you into peace with a godly father, a holy and just father. It's got to stay right here in front of you. The gospel has to stay right here in front of you. City groups are going to call you into a mission. It's calling you into a mission. I gave you that to you last time. The last sermon I preached, I tried to exhort you with everything I had to understand that the mission of these groups, the mission is to spread the glory of God through the gospel, to live out the glory of God in the city, to live it out in this city. So how do I complete the mission? How do I persevere in it? You ought to hold the work of Jesus right here. Hold the work of Jesus close. Keep the gospel right in front of you. Keep the mission of God's glory in front of you. Right in front of your eyes. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Don't take your eyes off his work. Theology matters. It matters what we believe. You lose sight of Jesus and his sacrificial work, you'll lose sight of the glory of God in the gospel. You lose sight of the gospel, you'll lose sight of your mission. You lose sight of your mission, you'll lose sight of your purpose. You lose sight of your purpose, you'll, you'll get weak need and you'll fold. You'll flinch and you'll buckle. Hold the gospel close. I plead with you, hold the gospel close. Hold it close. The mission of city groups is to spread the light of the gospel. We know that Jesus has his work of the gospel provides the theological foundation for fulfilling the mission. We know that. But why community? Britt, what does community even have to do with this? What is, why are we even talking about this stuff? Here's the key statement. Sear this into your brain. It's from strong community that mission is accomplished. Everybody tracking with me there? Successful mission, it flows from strong community. It flows from being in the trenches with people. It flows from sweating with people. It flows from bleeding with people. It flows from crying together, covering each other's back. To realize success in the mission, you have got to have strong community. You've got to have strong community. This is why the author of Hebrews puts this at the end. So then verse 24 and 25, check with me here. We're going to talk about community. I'm going to walk right through this really quick. Hold the gospel close. He says, let us consider how to stir one another up, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more that you see the day drawing near. The context of these closing verses is community. I've already told you that. The writer of Hebrews, he points, the, he points the reader to gathering together as a community after unfolding the work of Jesus, which gives you the theological grounding for persevering. Why? Why does he set this passage up this way? I think it's because from community, we need community to persevere in the mission. You got to have it. Successful mission, it flows from strong community. Successful mission, it flows from strong community. What does community look like? The author gives it to you right there. I'm just going to walk real practical right through this for the rest of the sermon. I'm just going to walk right through these things where I'm going to give you a plain reading on it, and I'm going to give you some walking points, and then we're going to move on down the road. But the gospel of Jesus, of Jesus Christ, his work, is the doctrine that holds the mission together. The mission is the gospel. It's the doctrine behind it. But what about community? What does, how does community factor into our faithfulness and our ability to run the race to complete the mission? What does community have to do with it? Two things really, really quick. Two things for you. Mission, community provides encouragement and it provides motivation for love and good works. It's right there in front of you. It provides encouragement and motivation for love and good works. Number one, encouragement. 
I, I don't know what else to say here other than encourage someone. It's a lot of encouragement in this church and it makes, it makes me happy. If you work for me or you're around me long enough, you'll realize that this is, a, this is a big deal to me. Encouragement is a big deal to me. I'm not talking about falsely building someone up. I'm talking about encouraging them. I'm talking about genuinely building people up. It's so simple, but man, is it rare. It's so rare nowadays. I, I meet people where they're at. Nobody in this room has arrived. <laughs> including the guy you're looking at. Meet people where they're at, man. Try to build someone up. But here's the kicker. This is my personal opinion on this. This is just from experience, managing people and being around. Listen to me. It, it, it takes humility and security to encourage people. It does. I think humility and security, I think they undergird encouragement. If you don't believe me, you look around arrogance and insecurity, it obliterates encouragement. If you find yourself being a naysayer, naysayer, I'm just on level with you, it's probably somewhere between arrogance and insecurity. Be an encourager. For the love of God, go encourage someone. We're all fighting for the same purpose, for the same, for the same, same mission. We're in the middle of a war. We're pushing against darkness all over the city, all over the country, amongst the nation. I feel the warfare every day. I feel it every day. Every day in my life, I have close friends in this city that are pushing against the darkness with everything they have, with everything, every ounce of God, that God's given them. I feel the weight of it every single day. I have friends all over the world pushing against darkness, and they feel the weight of it every single day. I'm talking about the weight of lostness pushing in. I, 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 if you don't feel it, go dig in somewhere. Go get on mission somewhere. I feel it every day. It's been some months back. Megan and I were in a, um, we're at a dinner as a professional business dinner. There's all these people sitting around the room, really from all over the world, and uh, we're chatting. And when you're a pastor in these things, I, so I have a business background, so I'm kind of like this hybrid. So people don't know what to do with me. People launch all kind of stuff at you when you're a pastor in these situations. We're sitting with people from all over the business, men and women from all over the world. Around it. Somehow the conversation descends into politics. Listen, pro tip, if you are ever in a business situation or at family gatherings on your holidays, avoid it like everything you have. And so it descends into this, and I'm thinking, good grief. And so I know it's coming. I'm the pastor, and somebody's going to look at me and say something weird. And it's, I'm just like, what is going on right now? So this lady, she looks at me, and she says, somehow the conversation got on racism which is even, I mean, that's, it's just tough in that situation. She looks me dead in the face and she says, I, you know, I don't get all this racism stuff. I've never felt racism a day in my life. And I honestly, I thought I was going to regurgitate my dinner. I had to get up and walk away from the thing. I, I, didn't, I didn't even know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I, I had to excuse myself. I, want, I wanted to say something equally as disturbing, but I didn't. I didn't. I thought, I said, you need to come where I grew up in Lee County, South Carolina, or you need to go to Baltimore, Maryland, or Washington, D.C. And so all I'm saying to you is if you don't feel the weight of darkness, you need to wake up and spend some time in India or Ethiopia or South Florida or Manhattan or go to the Bahamas. If you don't feel the weight of it, I'm, I'm talking about the weight of lostness. I'm talking about real darkness. We don't, we, don't, we don't back away from darkness. We go stand up in the middle of it. 
That's why I was telling you about light before. We press into darkness. We don't withdraw. It's unbiblical to withdraw. But remember the last sermon, we're light. But if you're going to press into darkness, it takes encouragement to keep going. There's some days I got to have it. It takes encouragement to keep going. So go prop someone up. I love encouragement. Go prop someone up. I love you. Hold someone up when they're weak need, when their hands droop. Go prop somebody up. I love encouragement. I love encouragement. Successful mission flows from strong community. Successful mission flows from strong community, a strong community undergirded by encouragement. Number two, motivation for love and good works. We're going to move through this really quick. Number two, motivation for love and good works. Community in the context of the gospel, it propels us, it motivates us. You know this, you live this every day. Basically, a plain reading of the verses in this is that community propels us to action. It propels us to action. What kind of action? Love and good works. That's what city groups are going to do. You can do any kind of love and good works you want, as long as it's orthodox, biblical. Now, don't get weird on me. But, you know, I mean, in general, you can do anything you want with that. And so, uh, it's, it, it, you're, you're evangelical Christian. If you're sitting in here and you're a member of this church, you're evangelical Christian. And what that means, there's a whole philosophy and history behind this that I don't have time to get into. And if I did, you would not like me. But you're evangelical Christian. And what that means is that you are bent to action. You're bent to action. B.B. Warfield, who was a, I mean, just a stud of a theologian from Princeton, uh, the old Princeton theologians, he says what it means to be evangelical is that God and God alone works individually on the soul. But he's got to have an instrument to get the gospel out. We're bent to action. I sent an email to the elders and staff sometime in the last couple weeks. I told them, I said, we don't live on our heels. We live leaning forward. As a church, we, li- we live leaning forward. So com- community propels us to love and good works. So go love somebody. Go do some, some good works. That's precisely what city groups will do. They'll call you to do this. They're going to call you to community in order to motivate one another, to love one another, to build out good works in this community. It's really that simple. So there's a, there's, let me give you a final illustration here. I'm going to give you a point, a little bit of application, and we're going to, we're going to be done. But there, there's this man that lived as a British military thinker, strategist, he lived in the 1900s, early, early um, 20th century, and so his name was B.H. Liddell Hart. Some of you might know of him, B.H. Liddell Hart. He, he's, he, his best-known work was this book on strategy called The Indirect Approach. Some of you might know it. He, it was really a, his seminal work on military strategy. I don't know anything about military strategy, but it's interesting to me. His book, one of his most, one of the, I read one of his books, it's Why Don't We Learn from History. It was beautiful. It was great. But anyway, um, Liddell Hart, so he, he's, he talks about this indirect approach. I've glanced through the book, but I've never in detail the entire thing. But the essence of the book, and this is a very, very elementary explanation. So some of you military folks in here, don't rake me over the coals afterwards. But the, he basically says that flexibility, movement, and surprise is, leads, this is what he argues, leads to successful military campaigns. He's talking about the indirect approach. You sort of catch the enemy off guard. So in my language, what happens is that, he, well, in his language, he says these types of maneuvers, they're indirect, and they make, they, 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 he uses this term dislocates. It dislocates the enemy. So basically, in Brit's terms, in Brit's language, which would probably cause him to sweat if he was sitting in here, is that it causes this wobble in the enemy. The indirect approach, it causes this wobble in the in- enemy. It creates this imbalance, and in the middle of that, you can terminate him. So if, if you t- attack an enemy, enemy indirectly, it creates imbalances, a long-term victory thing. That's a very, very elementary expression of the book. 
You can tell me if you think it was garbage. I think the reception of this in the larger, broader military world was kind of controversial, but I'm not making any statements on whether it actually works or not, okay? That's what I'm saying. But you can tell me if it's garbage, but he goes to painstaking links in it. But the point I'm trying to make in all this is that community is an indirect approach with dealing with the enemy for persevering in the mission and pressing into darkness. Christ is the direct approach. You tracking with me? Christ is the direct reproach. The gospel is a full frontal assault on the enemy. But for now, we're still in this in-between space. We live in the already but not yet. Jesus has come and done his work on the cross, but he hasn't returned to fully obliterate the enemy. So what do we do in that in-between? Satan still reigns. But he's wobbly. He's wobbly. So God gives us the indirect method for completing the race, for making it to the finish line, for persevering in the faith. And community is one key aspect of that indirect method. Do you understand that? Is that, am I clear on that? The gathering of Christians for mission happens all over the world, all sorts of angles and all sorts of settings with all sorts of people groups for all sorts of good works with all kinds of unique expressions of love for all sorts of things uh, with hundreds of thousands of verbal expressions of the gospel and it, it, presentations of the gospel. All of that leads to a dislocation of the enemy. He can't stop the spread of the gospel that way. History tells us that. He can't shut it down. He might can stop it from a political front. He might can stop it from a legal front. But he can never stop the church for, gather, for gathering for purposes of encouragement, for love, for good works, in the name of gospel proclamation and advancement. Even in places where the deep church is deeply persecuted, it gives us an example of this. The gospel goes. It will move. God is big. He's a big God. You can't put him in your pocket. So what does this have to do with city groups? It's through community that successful mission flows. You cannot uphold the mission of God's glory through spreading of the gospel without the support of community. You can't do it. You've got to gather with people. You've got to sweat with them. You've got to encourage them. You've got to be part of a team. You've got to be motivated and propelled. This is the design of the Christian life. God knew it wasn't going to be easy but to make it through the journey. It's not an easy t- task to fulfill his earth with the glory of himself. He knew this, and this is why he gave us community. So fellowship of believers, it's through community that successful mission flows. So how do I make it, Britt? How do I fulfill the mission of spreading the gospel, particularly in a city group? How do I uphold my calling as a Christian to be faithful? How do I have courage and grit and determination and doggedness and perseverance and faithful? Hold the work of Jesus close. Hold the gospel right here and embrace community. It's from strong community that successful mission flows. May the God of all mercy and com- kindness compel us to live on mission in community for the gospel. Amen and amen. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful to you that we live in a world and a society where we've been given freedoms to mobilize for your purposes, I'm thankful that you give us clarity through scriptures about mission and community and how these things interplay, Father. And so I pray that you mobilize us, you give us the desire and a, and a drive to be the people that you want us to be, dear Lord. You call us to encouragement, you call us to hold the gospel close, so I pray for that now in this very moment. I pray that you give us the strength to live out the purposes of, of, 
of the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ among this city and this community, Father, and amongst the nations. I'm thankful to you for your loving kindness to us and your mercy. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.